Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. I'm Dr. Doolittle, a shrink, and we have some healthy treats for you this morning. Joining me in the virtual studio is our doctor's moto, another shrink, Cyber Sue, a nurse, and the panel beater, our trusty master of everything, who is also actually, he's actually in Brunswick. You know, we're doing this show because of lockdown five. We're doing it fully virtually this morning. So the rest of us are all in on the Zoomer, as they call it. I'm actually down in the Mornington Peninsula, which is partly why I was so fascinated by marinara stuff. There was a whole lot of stuff about humpback whales and dolphins, and they even mentioned a nudist beach near me, which it's probably too cold for me to profit from, but nevertheless, you get the gist. And, uh, and uh, you know, so it's all super cool. Cyber Sue's going to tell us a little bit today about that motorbike trip she touched on about three or four months ago where she went around Australia with a group of other people spreading the word on mental health. Fantastic. And while she's at it, I'm going to, while we're doing sort of, um, you know, trips of our travels, you might notice I've been away for a little bit of a spell. I've been four and a half months on sabbatical also. I've been looking at Indigenous models of healthcare in cancer and mental health. So when, at the end of the show, you know, the last part of the show, we're going to talk about our travels and what we learnt. Hey, we also have a super special guest joining us, Damon Smith. Damon is a Melbourne-based writer, musician, and performer who's made a documentary called Mental as Everything. The doco blends commentary, comedy, animation, and music to explore what it's like to live with mental illness. So we're super, super excited that Damon's joining us in a, um, after the news. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Let's say hello to the team. Um, uh, Cyber Sue. Morning. Good morning to you. It's um, great to be nearly there. I'm a little bit closer to the studio than you are. I wish I was all the way there. I'm here in St Kilda. Have you got a nudist speech near you? Oh, maybe not officially. You know, I didn't even I didn't even know we had one down here. Um, you know, I've lived down here. Oh God, I can't remember how long I've had. You know, my family moved down here about twenty years ago. I'm in Rye, and uh, and I had to look it up on Google Maps when uh, when when um, Bron mentioned it on Marinara. I'm going, ooh, where's the news? Um, <laughs> I think Moto. I'm in Port Melbourne. Yeah, <laughs> Moto, how are you, Matt? I'm I'm very good, Doolittle. It's great to have you back. The uh, the Doolittle team is just not whole without you, and. Um, Great to have you back and um, very much looking forward to hearing about uh, your learnings and your observations and, of course, Cyber Sue about your trip. And also, can I, you know, just while we've got this opportunity, pass on a big thanks to you, Moto, because you stepped in for me for the, you know, four or so months. I did my last show in February, so you stepped in for me and that was very much appreciated. Um, Now, I'm not sure, Panel Beater, if you're on the mic because you're busy doing stuff, but uh, um, are you on the mic? I just want to say g'day. (laughs) G'day, everyone. Great to see you all. Yeah, it is good to have the band back together. Yeah, sorry, I, I know I can see you because we've got, you know, we're all on camera, so I can see how busy you are in there. So uh, give me a yell if you, if you want to jump in at any stage because we'd love to hear your thoughts. Hey, why don't we jump straight into the news because we are going to be uh, 
tight on time as we always are. Um, I think the plan was I was going to give a little bit of a summary of where we're up to with COVID. And then we've got a couple of topics we want to talk about um, regarding lockdown and tips for lockdown. But I've just opened the newspaper to get today's numbers. So let me just give you a little um, chat on the numbers. So 16 new cases today, according to the age that I just had a look at. We were on 19 yesterday. Um, So we're sitting steady roughly, which is great. New South Wales, I haven't seen today's numbers, but they were sitting steady. They had 100 or so the day before and then yesterday, 111. Of course, they extended their lockdown. But I guess, you you know, we all know about all the numbers and stuff these days. It's all... um, it's all uh, pretty straightforward. But the big issue now, obviously, is how we cope with lockdown number five. Why don't who, who wants to start us off rolling there? Um, you know, this is, your thoughts on it, Cyber Sue? Yeah, I mean, having been away and missed the last lockdown, being seven weeks on the road, complete freedom, coming back to it was very confronting, I have to say, and um, it was really, really weird coming back into Victoria. And the one thing that I've learned from the country that I think is really useful is very simple, and it's just kindness. And um, I think it's so important being kind to your bosses, to your staff, to your neighbours, just to random people on the street, because actually everyone's doing it tough in some way or another. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's my current kind of lesson for this week. Oh, yeah, that is so true, Cybersu. Um, look, I think um, for, for those of you guys who have um, had the privilege of avoiding our first um, uh, one or two or certainly three and four lockdowns, um, you know, I'd like to say that uh, we're a bit more used to it these days, but we're sort of not, are we? You know, it's not something that you can easily get used to. And each time it happens, there still is a bit of a jar to the spine. You know, it jars people right in the inside, right at the core. And um, um, look, I think it was the right approach to get in early, um, hit it fast, hit it hard and try to get this over and done with ASAP. But uh, as you said, Dr. Sue, you know, I think a lot of people's plans have been disrupted. My boss, um, um, she's had to cancel her um, travel plans to the NT as well. Um, and uh, just devastated. Yeah, I've had, yeah. So, you know, I've had so many, you know, the devastation. Look, I, I want to make two comments there. Firstly, on the issue of, you know, lots of chat about should we or shouldn't we go into lockdown? You know, it reminds me of one of the first things, should I dob her in? You know, one of our top professors in Australia who I was chatting with about a year ago over coffee on all of this. And I said, what's your take on whether we should or shouldn't early lockdown, intermediate lockdown, wear masks, which, which, what, what should we be doing? And she said, you know, bottom line, do little. Bottom line is... We don't know. You know, we're not going to know for three or four years. We have to take a leap of faith. We have to have trust in our leaders because the reality is we've done everything largely through the pandemic naturally at the same time. Masks, distancing, hand washing, lockdowns of various degrees. Every state, every city, every country does something different. And two years down the track, we'll have a really strong idea once we weigh up, measure all the big cities, but batch them into groups, which ones went hard, which ones went medium, which ones went soft, which ones did 1.5 metre, which one did 2.5, then we'll know. But until then, it's a leap of faith. And at the end of the day, you know, you've got to at least, we've got to at least acknowledge how incredibly lucky we've been here in Victoria. You know, our government, you know, you might complain early on about the handling of quarantine, but since then, gee, our numbers and everything have been low. And I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but my point being that, you know, you can waste a lot of energy thinking about whether stuff is good or bad, but in time of crisis, you follow the leader and you just do, you do your goddamn best. And and of course you get a vaccination. (laughs) Chuck that in. Um, (laughs) uh, What about your lockdown tips? What what, what do you do, Susan, to stay, to stay good? You know, apart from, you know, you said you're starting to have positive, be nice to everyone. Do you have a routine Mm -hmm. in the house? Um, no, I am very poor at all of that, so I'm the wrong person to speak about it. 
<laughs> but I know all the things that I should do, which everybody knows. Um, Leo, Dr. Leo. Oh, yeah, look, um, I, the, the listeners couldn't see us, of course. We're looking at each other over Zoom. But as you said, you're hopeless at these routines and stuff. I laughed out loud so hard. Um, I was on <laughs> mute, but uh, you probably saw my visceral um, reaction on the, on the screen there on video. Um, look, my, my tip is uh, really just to <laughs> stick with routine and do a bit of exercise every day. I think if you sweat once a day, it keeps you sane. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah, it is. You know, look, I have like a list as long as your arm because I've given this, you know, so I'm going to sound a little bit like, uh, you know, because I've done this so many times on um, meetings. Um, Cyber Sue, you've got a question? Oh, I, yeah, you have to tell us about the latest book that's come out, um, Do Little. I've heard that mental as mental has been updated and I bet you there's some tips in there we need to hear about. Well, I am sort of cheating because no, those some of you out there will know, you know, in, in the real world, I'm called Steve Allen and I have a book called Mental that I wrote with Catherine Devney, uh, you know, Brunswick, Melbourne-based author, comedian, commentator, you name it. And uh, our second edition of Mental just came out. And of course, in it, we added a chap on cover. And of course, I've got uh, isolation and lockdown tips in there. And some of the ones you've mentioned already, you've already said routine, obviously stay healthy, you know, and uh, of course, depending on your ability, you can do exercise indoor or outdoor, like it's been raining for me lately. So I've got, I set up my indoor bike and I'm, uh, you know, I'm watching my Tour de France, um, replays on the bike imagining I'm uh, I don't know who I imagine I am let's face it I'm too old to imagine Cadell Evans he's the oldest Australian cyclist I've got, I pretend I'm Cadell um you know uh contact keep in contact with people now we're so used to this now and of course hopefully this is going to be a short lockdown but remember the longer lockdowns where we started doing zooms you know every two or three nights with our mums and dads and our family and friends and stuff you know get that stuff going especially if this extends beyond the five days and and I, I also like to tell people, you know, if you can use your time wisely, you know, get your work done, do things you've been meaning to do, clean up the house, unclutter, you know, whatever you call it when you go around and unclutter and chuck out your old clothes to the, you know, get them ready to take to the brotherhood or whatever. But also, equally, if you can't use your time wisely, use it unwisely. Don't worry. It's a time of stress. There's no, you know, there's no pressure. This is a time when you can basically... I was going to say something rude about what kids, you know, can poo your pants and no one's going to care at a time like this. Um, it, it just doesn't matter that much if you can't. And, of course, help others. And, of course, the other one we've banged on about it as much, which is, is is going to be hypocritical saying this on the media, but limit your media exposure. Limit your media exposure. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't read COVID stuff anymore, I've got to be honest. And, you know, I had to look up the numbers this morning. I like reading commentary about things I'm interested in, but, um, you know, like the mo- things, you know, like vaccine hesitancy. I love reading about that. But, um, but uh, you know, look, that's probably enough of it all. What about um, you had something you wanted to cover, didn't you, Leo, about uh, Leo? I'm calling you. How long have I been off the air? Moto, Dr. Moto, get to the proper names. Moto, didn't you have something you wanted to cover too about um, healthcare workers and the trouble getting into psychologists and stuff? Uh, yes. Um, so, I mean, this was a, a um, piece that was in the news over this past week. Um, I think the title of the, um, the, pa- the, the, the piece was um, sort of unethical and um, how um, cruel it is that um, Victorians have to wait months for help as um, mental health sector hits its limits and uh, you know around the grounds um, I'm certainly hearing and seeing um, a lot of counsellors a lot of psychologists um, being being inundated um, same thing with um, psychiatrists as well and um, you know a lot of the support services out there often the phone-based services out there 
um, sort of like your lifelines, um, they have just been inundated with calls and they can't meet up with demand because, as you say, you know, this is um, these are unprecedented times of uncertainty and, and worry and, you know, um, people want to reach out and just sound out whether what they're experiencing is actually a, a mental illness or is this, um, you know, worry that's appropriate for the times that we live in. Yeah, look, I saw that article too. It was in The Age, yeah, that's the one, the one in that's right. yeah. The Age. Um, it was um, it was uh, an interesting one um, because, you know, the essence of the article was about how everyone's overwhelmed. And, of course, we're, you know, we all work in the system. Well, our, our waiting times blew out. We put on extra staff in my hospital. Um, I think nearly every other hospital did too. Private psychologists, I'm finding now, you know, I used to say, you know, to, you know, private psychiatry and psychology, I used to say, you know, you had to be, have a little bit of money to do it because it's expensive. Now I say often quite cynically, as well as needing a little bit of money, you need to have a contact too because you just can't get into anyone. I can only get people in at the moment, you know, in anything under two or three months. I can only get them in by ringing up and pulling in favours. That, and that's not good enough. But the one thing I did disagree, the gist of the article was we need to increase funding in the private sector um, in order to attract more people in to fix it up. Now, while I get that, that's not going to happen for 10 years. Let's face it, five years, best case scenario. So that wasn't the solution. I agree we need to do something and it might be increasing funding to attract people, but we're still going to rob Peter to pay Paul or Penny to pay Paul, whatever the saying is, because, you know, we just don't have an have enough. And so I think the real, you know, the real message is start teaching it in school, you know, provide a lot of online stuff, a lot of alternatives to specialists. You know, I didn't buy the conclusion in the article. What did you think, Cyber Sue? Yeah, I, I agree with it. And I think it kind of I came back to me a little bit about what can we do as a community to look after each other because these services are struggling. They are struggling. Um, what I took from it is the impact it was having on the actual doctors and psychologists that they were, one doctor said that she would, someday she wept because she couldn't look after her patients how she wanted to. So we need to try and care for each other as well because we recognise that people aren't always getting the services that they need. And and one thing that has been tapped onto our little chat and um, um, and it's a really good point, you know, it's... It, Pays to the, it, it speaks to the point I was making about when you make financial changes, sometimes you rob Peter to pay Paul. So what one of the things that's been done is we've doubled the Medicare, which I think is a great thing so people can see psychologists twice as long. Of course, that means people see psychologists twice as long and so half as many people get in when you've got a limited number. And so that's what I'm getting at. And that's a great point, um, panel beta. Thanks for tapping that up. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. If you increase private too, you'll drag everyone out of public. If you increase public, you'll drag everyone out of private. Um, Leo, uh, Moto, final comment before we go to a song and some announcements and then come back and speak to uh, Damon Smith, who's uh, I can see in our virtual studio ready to talk about his documentary Mental as Everything. Moto? Yes, I know. Um, we've spoken about how there are high rates of um, distress and help seekers out there, which is great because you do want to reach out. You do want to speak out. Um, and we've spoken about how um, private uh, clinicians are being um, busy and, and, and very highly sought after. And I thought I'd just round up this discussion on a positive note as well. Um, you know, COVID has forced us to work virtually um, and over telehealth. And I know that over this esteemed show known as Radiotherapy, we've had at least a couple of shows now talking about the transition of psychotherapy practices in the online space. And generally, it's something that was welcomed by uh, therapists and therapies alike. So, 
you know, there was something good to have come out of this as well. I thought I'd just finish on that. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got to find alternative to specialists, you know, more GPs who are trained up. That's the obvious. Um, mm. More lay therapists, more online stuff, more written stuff. Anyway, hey, you listen to Radiotherapy. Gee, it's good to be back for me. Four months on the road, back in town. Um, you've got uh, Cyber Sue, uh, Dr. Moto, Panel Beta. And after this break, we are going to introduce you to Damon Smith, who's going to tell you about, tell us all about his doco. Hey, uh, it's great to be here, everyone. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. I was telling you before the break, let me bring up my bits of paper, that we have Damon Smith. Damon, are you there, mate, before I introduce you? Yes, I am. I am here, Steve. Oh, and you sound super clear too. That oh, is so super I have cool. one of those voices. It's very nice. I can pitch it down there. Lovely. Oh, you do. You're obviously a pro. You're a pro. I'm going to try and do that for your intro. Our guest today is Melbourne-based writer, musician, and performer Damon Smith, who, along with his co-creator, Adam Code, has made a documentary called Mental is Everything. Now, we've all watched it. The doco blends commentary, comedy, animation, and music to explore their experiences with OCD, bipolar disorder, and anxiety, aiming to break down the stigma and start conversations. So, uh, hey, uh, Damon, first up, I think we've already all said this to you in the chat on Zoom, but we'll say it to you in front of the radiotherapy audience. We all love the doco, man. It was so cool. Thank you so much. Um, it's nice to know that because as a a first-time filmmaker, you know, coming out of years of being a hobby filmmaker, um, I sort of need to know that, you know, because going forward, um, will I do something else? It's nice to have people say they enjoyed it. What inspired it? What made you do it? Well, we've been doing the theatre version of it, if you will, and um, that's had some great, uh, we've had really good success with that and Adelaide Fringe, we've gone to Adelaide Cabaret just recently. Um, you know, two, three weeks ago. So we've had a great thing. We're in the middle of a regional arts uh, Victorian tour with it. And it just made sense because, um, you know, to get something on screen and actually try and present it to a bigger audience. Um, so, and there's a few other reasons as well. It was a COVID safe plan to try and get a, a version of it on screen. Um, but as opposed to just filming our live show, which we have done before and can do on an iPhone, uh, my little tiny creative brain said, let's actually do a film and put some some funny stuff in there and try and get the point across. So well, that was one of, one of the things that really stood out for me. I love watching docos. Me and my son, we're like doco fanatics, yeah. was just the quality of it. You know, I'm so used to, um, you know, small, new, first docos. You know, the, the, they're not obviously like Hollywood quality, but honestly, watching yours, I loved the animation and just everything about it. You know, the, it, it just felt like it was filmed on really high quality cameras instead of the usual iPhone and stuff like that. Um, Moto, and, I can see your hand up. Yeah. And the sound quality as well, Damo. Um, oh, thanks. The, the, the music tracks and the way you, the, the camera moved from, say, the bassist to yourself and the different camera angles, just very, very good. Yeah, that section of the film, um, there's four songs you'd know from in that little room. Um, that's done out at Miles Mumford's studio. Um, he's a great guy. We're friends. Uh, Andrew Watson filmed that. And, I mean, he's he's someone that comes to the party, not just with a camera that will do the job. But he brings everything. Um, incredibly talented guy and, and got all the gear. So he came along, and that's why those bits look particularly good. Um, 
because he's just so great at what he does. And the animation, um, my friend Declan Tiger, he's he's a great illustrator and he'd never done animation. And I said, you have to do this animation. You must. And we were working, actually working on a children's book, him and I, um, but it's a love job. Um, I've written it. He's illustrating it. So I said, we can give you some money, you know. There'll be at least $3.75 in this for you. <laughs> so, good. But he's... Um, he just he just came to the party and now he's studying uh, animation um, as part of going forward. He wants to be an animator. So can I just lucky. comment before because I can see Susan's got a question, but just I want to comment on what you just said there. You know, I, again, you know, again, I hate sounding like a Pollyanna when it comes to you know people responding amazingly to times of stress. But you know, you're faced with this situation. You make your first ever doco. He's now studying animation based on what a great job. It just blows yes. my mind. Um, Cyber Sue, you've got a question. I can see. I, I do. And I mean, I think I, I totally concur, like great production, all of those things. I want to get onto the topic of the documentary a little bit. It's focused on obsessive compulsive disorder as the as the general kind of thing. And I think that for people as outsiders, it can be one of the hardest disorders to understand. And I'm kind of keen, can you tell us about how do you explain that to people? And do you think people actually get actually truly what OCD is? Yeah, uh, sure. Well, you know, as I say in the doco, we we... It is misguided. It's misunderstood. Uh, on the internet, uh, we've seen that you can do little tests that say how OCD are you, and you know you you look at the four or five six pictures, and if one looks weird, then you say, well, that's the wrong one, and then they say, well, you're you're very OCD. Um, not only is, are they you know promoting something that is entirely untrue, um, that's more a thing of being meticulously organised and understanding. You know, you have a collection of I don't know transformer films you know I've got transformers one and and it goes all the way up to a hundred or whatever they've done and they're in a particular order it just means you're organized um but if you do that if you are doing certain things color coding pegs on the line like someone I spoke to recently is um she said to me I, I must be OCD and um, I said, well, first of all, it's uh, grammatically incorrect to say I'm OCD because you can't be, when you expand the acronym, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, that's the first thing. But also I said, if there's this feeling of doom and if you don't color code those pegs, you're going to die, your arm's going to fall off, your family come into your mind and you, you can visually see destruction, then maybe you should go and talk to someone at that point. Um, but until then, right. yeah. thank, thank uh, you know, your lucky stars that you're organised because being disorganised is a real problem. So, <laughs> I mean, it's I the best way. And it's, a, and it's a great it's a great differentiation between um, being organised and having a, a disorder such as obsessive compulsive disorder. And does it bother you as a, um, as a person who does suffer obsessive, does it bother you the trivialisation of that? Yeah, it, it definitely does. But I do feel we're getting to a position now where people are understanding it. There's, there was something uh, recently on the ABC and there's, you know, it, it's out there more, uh, more people are talking about it. But um, I guess it just bothers me on the same level as certain words bother me, um, you know, that people use. Uh, we won't go into that, but it's just one of those things. When, when people understand the debilitating nature of something that they've never heard of, when they see that up front, I think that's when they really start digging in, you know, uh, and wondering what on earth this is. Um, so we just try and explain as, as best we can. Moto, you've got a question I can see. 
Oh yes, um, you know, I was just uh, going to um, echo something similar to what um, Cybersu and Damon Demo said about how um, you know it's one thing to be organised and insist on a particular order, but you meet people who do suffer from this condition and they cannot move on to the next thing mm. unless the pegs are ordered, and they might you know um, have planned to do that for five or ten minutes, but once they're there for about five hours you can understand how it actually becomes a major impediment to getting on with your day. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that de- debilitating nature. Some people cannot leave the house and it becomes so exhausting for them and their families that they, um, they're just stuck in, in the home because of it. But um, it, it happens to me uh, it's all the time. This morning, because <clears throat> I'm coming on here to speak to you lovely people, I was just doing all sorts of ridiculous things, just things that you generally wouldn't think of, like, my house is back there. This is my studio area. And sometimes my brain says things, you know, I call it Kenneth, the totalitarian leader in my head. He tells me how to do things, what to do, and, and tells me what's going to happen if I don't do it. And I've had to actually not, Kenneth once said, avoid the lawn. If you're going to go out to the studio, just avoid the lawn. That's all you need to do. Otherwise, something bad will happen. So it is really, really silly. <laughs> Damon, um, um, something that I just get absolutely mesmerised every time I um, do this is um, is watch musicians perform and um, see musicians go about their art form. And it's so beautiful, it's so melodic, but I actually like watching the visuals of one playing the, the piano as, as you did on the, in the doco or playing the drums. I can watch a drummer or pianist, yeah. you know, go about doing their thing for hours on end. You know, even if the um, even if the sound was on mute, right? So, Damon, you're you're clearly a very talented um, musician, and I sort of heard um, um, sort of um, uh, tones of jazz and blues in in your musical genre. Hey, um, how did you get into music, and and um, um, how did you excel in um, being um such a such a great musician? And um, I, I wonder. Um, if you might speak to whether um, your obsessive tendencies, compulsive tendencies played into that journey at all. Yeah. So the first part of that is that um, I just wanted to play music. If there's an instrument lying around my, I was going to say my daughter, my sister's uh, guitar would be on her bed. I would go over to that. And um, I learned pretty quickly to use my ear. So if I heard something, uh, in an open tuning, for an example, from a blues guy, which I did, I would tune the guitar. Um, I didn't know how to play an E chord, so I just tuned the guitar into an E chord, and then I had access to a lot of different songs until the song changed to, changed to another chord. Um, but it was a really good building block. The piano was always available in the house. Um, I said in an article yesterday, actually, I used to play clumps of chords when I didn't know how to play piano, but I'd hear them and I'd take one finger off a note and it would sound better i'd be getting closer to a nice sounding chord um, and then i would run through my backyard and and that would still be echoing out in my head as a soundtrack um, and i would play out little fantasies like pretend i'm indiana jones or something that has never stopped i still do all these things um, i think it's important to understand frivolous uh, activity particularly with music can be just as important as um you know, other stuff that you're going to output that you consider really important. And musically, I just kept playing. I played guitar in bands, came to Melbourne in 2003, uh, 
disowned the piano and then in about 2011 I started playing piano in a band uh, a, a stage show that I created with my friend Dave and um, and I've just been playing piano you know more than guitar since but you know it's funny you talk about watching you know when I play um, I'm really into <clears throat> the mechanism of it now I like taking my uh, my the wood panel off my piano and watching the hammers and the moment that I, I can't look across at my great friend um, and partner in this show, Adam, and admire what he does on a drum kit, the moment that happens and it's just mechanical is the moment that maybe we need to move on. I, I just love that real uh, mindfulness of, of playing music. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. We've got Damon Smith. We're talking about his documentary, Mental is Everything, where he uh, uses music, animation, everything to talk about the experience of having OCD, bipolar disorder, and they also talk about anxiety through his uh, partner in the show. But uh, one question I wanted to ask you before we get the details of where people can see it is, what's it been like coming clean, Damon? What's it been like going public and telling everyone about your uh, you know, innermost secrets? Um, I feel good about it. I, I feel that doing all these other shows that I do and taking them around uh, to different venues and playing them. It's beautiful. I'm finally doing something and, uh, and getting paid for what I love doing. It is not a job at that when you're actually uh, entertaining or writing music or talking about it here. Um, but yeah, I do feel that, um, yeah, it's just an inc- – so what was the first part of your question? I well, talk so much was, I can't – Yeah, no, that's cool. We all do. You know, it's like you've come clean about your mental illness and I'm yes. wondering, you know, good responses, bad responses. You know, I did a similar thing when I wrote that book that I mentioned earlier in the show that I'm now advertising again. Um, you know, you, it's it's a weird process when you stand up on a street corner and say to people you don't know, I've got a mental illness, I've had – you know, I've got or I've had – Yeah, or you shared your illness. lived experience yeah, about that. So. You know, what's it been like? You know, any any – all positive or some negative or what's it like? So it is, um, I tend not to think about it, which is why I feel like I couldn't answer the question there because I just block it out. But it, it has been generally really, really great to get out there, particularly to talk about OCD because people are interested in it. It's it's a little bit funny and zany um, and we turn that around and talk about it like before and how serious it is. The bipolar side of it, as I say in the film, I, I just have, and on stage I say to people, I don't have any words really at this point in the program to talk about bipolar is forever changing, you know, extreme highs and lows. So I find that if I talk about a bipolar condition, as much as a lot of people know what it is, I just feel it, it sort of gets, gets me. And sometimes, um, sometimes I do a show, it's about an 80, 20, uh, you know, thing. Sometimes I, uh, for a week or two weeks, I'm feeling pretty down because you do a show and if someone comes up and says that was really great and talks to you about it, I have a bipolar condition, that's brilliant. That's a, a little success there and great to know. But if someone comes up and tells you like they have done, I don't think you should be talking about this stuff on stage and I preferred your other show, which was all about music. Uh, you know, I think, okay, I, I understand where they're coming from, but um, that does get me down a little bit. But generally it feels very good to do something with um sustenance and substance and something that I feel so uh this is so important to me to get this out to try and um attack that 
and remove that stigma as opposed to just playing music, which I like, but with no real deep meaning to. Cool. And, and Damon, on that note, where do people actually get to see Mansfield's everything? People that want to find out more and see your work. Yeah, so the regional tour is uh, regional, would you believe? And uh, in October, Mental Health Month, we have uh, so many shows. I think there's about 11, maybe 12. I'll have to check. Um, and so, yeah, generally, uh, we've been all to all the different places from, uh, well, just everywhere. Um, and as I say, all around uh, Australia too. But in this, in the city in Melbourne, I'm thinking we're going to do something in November. But um, we have a website, uh, mentalseverything.com, and it's it's all there. Mentalseverything.com is the website. Great. Yes, and more specifically, community centres, theatres, performing arts centres. Um, the community theatres are, are are really really community centres are, are very important to us to get and talk to the community. Oh, it's fantastic, um, Damon. Hey, uh, we're going to wind up the interview because we've got a few more things we've got to chat about. But, of course, we could chat about this all day. And I really, you know, if people don't get, you know, keep your eye out for it. Try to get to Cinema Nova on whatever, when, when was it, July 28th? 28th, yeah. Yeah, and see it um, and chase it down on the website because I'm sure it will be released more broadly and keep an eye out for Mental Health Week and all those uh, things you're going to do because, uh, it, you know, you don't get to hear an insider's view of OCD very often. You know, we hear it's, you know, it's fascinating and scary in equal measures at times. And um, so, you know, it's it's a really great opportunity. And, of course, also you cover anxiety in general, bipolar. And, of course, it's just a, it's great to watch because you've got great music and all the rest of it as well. But, Damon, can I end up by saying a big thank you to you for joining us on Sunday morning? Um, it was a real treat having you in and hearing about Mental as Everything. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me. It's been fantastic. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Hey, uh, over to you, Moto. No problems. Um, yeah, look, I'm very keen to um, ask you guys some questions now, um, particularly um, sort of poke you in the ribs a little bit, um, do little for uh, being away the last four and a half months. But I'm keen to um, hear about your trip um, up north as well as um, Cybersu, your trip um, around, doing doing a lap of the map, as they say. Um, why don't we start with you, Cybersu? Here I am. <laughs> so tell yeah. us about the ride, how long it took, who was on there? Mm. So we talked a little bit about it before we left and um, it's hard to imagine that now I'm back. It was seven weeks to get around the country and um, Sykes on Bikes was the group we were with and we were um, enjoying the trip but also uh, raising awareness of uh, mental health, trying to reduce some of the stigma by going into cattle stations and remote communities and giving people a chance to just talk about how they're travelling. And what was that like? What was it like going into some of these cattle stations? Because I'm, I mean, I'm probably speaking for myself here, but um, it's probably not a setting that most of us find ourselves in, you know, going to this property that spans 200 mm. acres and you need a helicopter to get from one end to the other, right? It was incredible and it was an absolute honour and a privilege to have this experience. So I feel extremely grateful. And I guess one of the things I learned from it is that here we are in big, busy, chaotic Melbourne. We think we're the centre of the universe, but we're just such a tiny speck on the vastness of Australia. And there's just a whole other world out there, which is just incredible. And it was amazing to see 
I guess, the roots of this country and what makes it tick behind the scenes. What was the reception like for um, um, people in these very remote communities seeing, you know, 15, 20, 30 motorcycles ride in, get on their property and start talking about psychiatry and mental health? Mm. Mm, It's a a great question and I think um, the overall sense is that they really appreciated um, the fact that we came to them. I mean, it's so hard for them to get out and access to mental health services is difficult. Um, We approached it in a kind of a two-pronged approach where um, Joe Dunn or one of the other, who's a sounding psychiatrist, or one of the others would do a talk um, about suicide, depression, um, a, a mental health conversation, would then do a what we call a body check, which would be a blood sugar, uh, blood pressure and BMI check. And it kind of helps to reduce the uh, the, the pressure on the person. And then we'll do a head check where someone will go and have a bit of a chat, how you're sleeping, how you're travelling and who have you got to talk to if things are a bit tough. And overall, we found that people were quite receptive, were really quite receptive to that. Um, many of the people on these cattle stations are actually quite young. They're in their 20s. They're doing one or two years there. Um, there's a number of them that are from the city, actually, and they really enjoyed having the chance to talk about how they're travelling. There's a lot of stigma still um, about mental health in the country, and um, there's some amazing organisations across Australia that are doing a lot of great work, um, and that work is really needing to continue in these really remote places where um, people have to be tough. You know, Mount Isa, it's a big mining town. The cattle stations, you need to be tough. You can't be seen to be so-called uh, weak or struggling and um, just having the chance to realise that people working in mental health are okay to talk to and it's not that bad to talk about how you're travelling. I think it's a great start. Did you get the opportunity to meet some of the local health providers or mental health providers? We did, we did. And um, one of our team, a, a, a mental health nurse called Mark Goddard up in uh, remote western Queensland, he was absolutely amazing with um, connecting us with all the local services. And as we passed through town, so they would meet us, they put on a lunch, a barbecue um, for the local community as well as us. And it was a way to interact with people. And, um, yeah, it was a gift for us as well. Um, and a big part of this is I, I, I see it, it really is about connecting people with their local services rather than being kind of a fly and fly out service. It's what, who's available for you locally um, and helping to make those connections. Absolutely. I think, you know, instilling that sense of sustainability is so important and, you know, establishing those linkages can um, help in that regard. Um, of course, CyberSu, you know, one of the very unique um, aspects of this trip that um, you'd undertaken um, was that the entire trip was done on a motorcycle. Two motorbikes, yes. Would you mind talking about that? I heard you had a bit of an issue with one of the bikes, with your first bike. <laughs> so 200 kilometres into a very into a dirt road in very remote Queensland, um, I was being brave and courageous and decided to tackle this big dirt road. Um, got a little bit comfortable, was going perhaps a bit too fast, lost attention, and unfortunately, Moto, myself and the motorbike, did some somersaulting. And the bike came off worse, and I ended up having to leave it on the side of the road. Yeah. We're very, very pleased it wasn't the other way around in terms of who came off worse. 
Did you go, yeah, can absolutely. I just interject? Can I, did you, how did you go getting back on Cyber Sue? I mean, you know, the biggest saying in the world, it's the principle of anxiety, you know, you can fall off a horse, get back on, but you're in the middle of a big trip. What, did, how, how, what was that like? Oh, I mean, you're totally right. And I mean, when I kind of came to and realised what had happened um, and then had some time to reflect on, oh boy, what next? And we truly were absolutely in the middle of nowhere is I had two choices. And that was to come back to Melbourne and go back to work or to go and buy another motorbike. And so it took approximately 30 seconds to decide what I was going to do or less. And um, I I went about um, contacting the motorbike shops in Darwin. Um, I was very busy on the phone over the next few days. And by the time I got up to Darwin, there was a bike waiting for me a few days later. And And how did it feel getting on it? Yeah, with courage, I got back on. I didn't even test ride the bike. Um, I just bought the bike, um, loaded my gear on and rode it out of the shop. And um, it was scary. And I have to say, coming back to Melbourne has been, um, it's taken it's taken the edge off me in some respects. I've taken a bit of, had to build up my courage again. And it's funny because these things are all in the mind. It's not like I've forgotten how to ride a motorbike, but our mind messes with how we do stuff. Hats off. I've learned that firsthand. Well yeah. done. Hats off. Yeah. And um, Cyber Sue, so what's 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 next? What's the next big trip? Well, um, uh, we had a documentary crew with us on um, on the ride, and they've done, they've been doing some amazing work with helping to build the profile and awareness of sites on bikes. And I think sites on bikes is um, becoming more known. There's been some media coverage and. They are hoping to do at least a big ride every year, potentially two. Um, hopefully, Moto, we're going to see you on at least one of those rides. And and Dr. Doolittle, absolutely. You both ride two wheels. Um, and keep working on that model. Uh, Moto, you talked about sustainability and engaging with local communities more and local health services. And I think that's where our, uh, our model will continue to grow. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm mindful that. Um, I, I came with you on part of the trip. I sort of felt like I, um, I, I, um, I, I went up with the Victorian contingency up to Queensland, but then I had to come back down while you guys went Badly. around the map. So um, definitely next time myself and Doolittle will be there. I'm glad to hear that. that. I, I do ride a scooter, everyone, not a big motorbike that I can drive around Australia. If I was on my Vespa, my little blue Vespa driving around Australia, I reckon I'd look a sight. Well, Doolittle, what will happen is, uh, and I'm not wishing this on you, this is um, totally just in jest, um, but uh, if you were to take a couple of somersaults, you know, you'll do what Cyber Sue does and then you <laughs> upgrade to, you know, the biggest, fattest, hairiest, Burliest motorcycle you'll ever see. It ain't gonna happen. Oh, no. There's always an opportunity. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, I'm just gonna use that um, segue talking about local area mental health services to hear a bit about um, um, you, um, do little and uh, your um, interactions and um, findings from local area mental health services up north. Um, I know that um, you went to um, see how cancer care and um, mental health care. Um, was provided in um, Indigenous communities up north. Tell us where you went. So mine was a sabbatical. So, you know, for those who aren't in the swing of 
university uh, jargon. The sabbatical is like a, it's a working holiday. So it's meant to recharge your academic batteries and it's meant to bring back new knowledge to the service that you work in. So, you know, you apply to your service, you can apply once every seven years and you can ask to go and learn about something and bring it back to your hospital. I'll talk about it another time because we're going to run out today. But in essence, I looked at um, Indigenous models of healthcare and cancer and mental health. So I went to, uh, I based myself um, but, uh, first in Cairns for two months, then in Darwin for a month, then in Broome for a month. And I visited and, you know, with the help of the Indigenous liaison and health officers at the various places, they took me to a whole lot of communities. So I went to Thursday Island and um, all of the Torres Strait Islands. I went to uh, around Cooktown. I went to Pomparao and Aracoon on the west coast of Cape York. Then in Darwin, I went to Catherine, Kununurra, you know, around to those places. And in Broome, I went to Beagle Bay and a few other big Indigenous communities. And essentially, I went and learned from the Indigenous health workers how they practiced. And I essentially asked them the same questions every time, you know, what do you do differently? What are the things that work? What do you reckon we should do? And I looked at how they did various things. And I'll, I'll you know, no doubt talk about it in future shows. I'm still, it's fair to say, um, processing it. You know, I'm still thinking it through and I want to engage, obviously, with Indigenous people in Victoria and Melbourne to talk to them and uh, and uh, understand uh, and, and try and, you know, continue to grow and understand in this domain. It's just so important to us. And, of course, as most of you know, I work at Peter Mac and it's a big part of what we're trying to do at Peter Mac. Um, but I'll talk about it more in future because I am aware we're going to run out of time soon. Um, but it was it was beautiful. I, like CyberSue, I got that mixture of learning and just seeing the country and some bits, you know, I'd already been to Darwin a lot. Um, I hadn't been up to the Torres Strait Islands. If you get the chance to go up there, Australia, God, for just go. It's just amazing. And I'd never seen the Kimberley before, northern Western Australia. And that, again, just blew my mind. I, sh- I should put some photos up. Um, it- it's just incredible. Uh, you know, sort of, yeah, I-, I-, I don't know where to go from there, uh, Moto. <laughs> I was going to ask, I mean, you know, I know you're still sort of filing the memories in your mind, but what was one highlight you can quickly share? Mm. It was um, probably my biggest highlight was learning the breadth of knowledge that exists in the Indigenous community about health. And, you know, I mean, it's obvious, of course, they're incredible. And of course, they've got so much knowledge because they combine their language, their culture, their healthcare, their traditional healthcare practices with all the benefits of the West and healthcare practices well. And, and, you know, all four produce this amazing system. But that was probably the highlight. But anyway, I'm going to, you know, but I don't want to talk too much about it at this point until I've processed it all. And and it's not something I want to talk about without an Indigenous person next to me, you know, uh, you know, the, along the principle of nothing about us without us. But um, that, that's a, a teaser, a teaser. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.